will you commit to ending Finsta? Senator, uh, again, let me explain. We don't actually, we don't actually do do Finsta. How does she keep what a Finsta refers face? to is young people setting up uh, accounts where they want they want to have uh, more privacy. Well, Finsta that, is that one said, of your actually. Finsta is one of your products or services. We're not talking here about Google <laughs> or Apple. It's Facebook, correct? <laughs> Finsta is slang for for a type of account. Okay, it's will not, you end that type of account? What I can say is that based on what we've seen in terms of, of teens using those kinds of accounts, we've actually given She's them so additional good. privacy options to to address to address those kinds of issues where they want more privacy so that they can have more privacy. I would have been standing up yelling you moron, probably. Well, I don't think that's an answer to my question. Oh, really? Welcome, everybody, to The Clown Show, episode 74 of the Light Shed podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Walter Pysik and the steaming Richard Greenfield. I, I have to tell you that that song actually has special meaning to me because my Waze account name is Brando Move It Move It. Um. <laughs> Anyone who wants to, to follow me why? on Waze. Yeah, because, you know, when you're driving, you're moving it, moving Move it. it. You don't get it? Uh, I mean, I get it. It's just, uh, I, it's very unexpected for you. I mean, look, I think the. Well, I love that song. I mean, we've for discussed me, this song. In the but that past. was not your choice. This was a Walter Pysik song choice. Walter does not make the Light Shed podcast song selection very often. This was Walt driven. He felt this was critical for this week. I didn't say it was critical, but it was DC. But Brandon, getting back to ways, do you ever just drop police reports in there just for the fuck of it? <laughs> no, I do that sometimes. I'm I'm really into the gamification of ways. I'm always looking for ways that I could find a way to change the map. Do you so ever finally get to go that to a last Dunkin Donuts? Because <laughs> they're always trying to get you to go to Dunk. I think it's Dunkin' Donuts is like the th- only I, sponsor that I, they I have. Think, I think I think you know I don't drink Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks coffee. I wasn't thinking about what you were drinking at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> oh, eating? <laughs> we were just looking that's, at that's not very noon for what is your go if you if and when you go to Dunkin' Donuts, what is your go-to donut? Blueberry cake donut. I Rich, said that what do you I got? said that way too fast. Uh for me? Yes, for you. You know, mm-hmm. my go-to? Probably chocolate frosted. Interesting. No, nah, you know what? Actually, glaze. I'm probably a glaze. If I had to really Blue, choose just blueberry, one glaze. Blueberry cake is so glaze. good. It's just more dense and has a lot more calories. Sometimes they have like a sour cream, old-fashioned, traditional one. I like those. Those are good. So Facebook, yeah, Finsta. Big week for Facebook, I guess, Rich. Lots of... No, I think you said it best them. earlier in the week, Walt. It's like this nonstop coordinate. It feels... Like there's just sort of this, you know, it started with the Wall Street Journal, obviously. I mean, I guess it started two years ago with Cambridge Analytica or three years ago with Cambridge Analytica. I think it started with the management of the company making certain (laughs) decisions. That's probably where it started. And then those uh, decisions were 
kind of backfired I, on them and revealed to be maybe not great. Um, it's not one thing. It's the fact that management has done some questionable things. Number one, and number two, that you know our government officials are not that well versed in anything besides well, getting well, elected. First of all, that's the bigger. <laughs> right? I mean, it, look, look. The, the bigger story is our uh, the officials, and it's, we knew this. It's I mean, crazy. I remember Walton. No, I, I remember Walton me sitting in D.C. in meetings talking about net neutrality, where the people we were sitting in front of had no idea how the internet functioned. Like this, literally, this rich is why know. agencies should be independent. And the net neutrality thing that you bring up is an exact example of of the impact that politicians had on the agencies. Um, same thing that President Biden issues this mandate on what the agencies, which should be independent, should do on net neutrality and antitrust and, and what have you. So, look, the agency people that we talk to, I think, are very smart. Um, you know, there could be views one way or another that we agree with or disagree with, but at least they're intelligent in how they approach this yeah, as opposed the to elected any- official, the elected officials that are a big problem. And we think about all the things that we know about that <laughs> they don't know about. What about? all the other topics that they legislate on that we don't realize they know nothing about. The other challenge here is pretty scary. The other other challenge is the politicized media. Once again, Neil Patel, who, you know, was this big proponent of net neutrality. And one of the guys, you know, saying like the internet's going to change forever with net neutrality after this, you didn't bring up Etsy, no mention of Etsy in that. So after this Blumenthal, (laughs) um, thing came out he's like oh you know blumenthal actually he knows what finsta is because you know he talked about it he was reading from what his staffers wrote him his questions clearly revealed he had no fucking idea what facebook or instagram or a finsta account is so like stop with the fucking bullshit defensing because that's what your political view is it's ridiculous can i ask you a question what's going to happen when they try and legislate the blockchain can you imagine no that? i mean it's the same thing brandon no i mean yes it, wasn't this thing back like the internet pipes like it's the pipe. uh, yeah we should have i should have pulled that video that's what i should i should have juxtaposed the two videos back to back um but you know the, the the issue here what's funny about this whole facebook files or not funny but like this is not just a facebook issue all of these issues they exist on youtube they exist on tiktok like Every one of these social platforms has the same issues of issues about, you know, mental health, teen health, like all of these things, you know, teen girls, like you could say this about all of these platforms. Probably the only one that sort of stands out as uniquely different is probably Snapchat, just because it doesn't really have any type of permanence. And it's less about sort of of, you know the the follows is not really a thing in the same way just because there is no likes and follows on the platform which is something i know evan has sort of talked about sort of the the difference between snap and everybody else i don't you know i don't think anyone invests in the stock based on that but it, it is interesting to the extent that the government puts more time into this attack on facebook whether it builds beyond facebook the one that should be sort of immune to this is probably snap and just one last thing Good luck, government, in trying to banish anonymous accounts on social media platforms. Good luck. This is not even a Finis is not yeah, even you, anonymous. You, it's just this you is like get just anonymity. Your I mean, again, yeah. go go back to the blockchain. Just, yep. Good luck. Good, good luck, luck with the blockchain. But Brandy, you're 100 percent right. That is a good <laughs> lead in. Let's when we get to the blockchain regulation. Let's see oh, exactly how that goes. We'll have some good, fun um, 
quotes. By the way, this is not the first. We shouldn't overly pick on Blumenthal. Um, these hearings are crazy this way. And in, in some ways, these politicians use it as a platform to speak to their base. Sometimes yeah, they course. even perhaps know that they're speaking nonsense, but they know it will resonate because it'll be picked. That clip will be picked up. Although in this case, this clip being picked up by Blumenthal only makes you look like an idiot. So I'm not sure who that resonates with. Brandon, why don't we start with um, RSNs, which is probably our biggest story of the well, week. Well, I don't know if you noticed the t-shirt that I'm wearing today on the Light Shed podcast, Rich. Oh, I, I recognize it. And it, it's circa, but, I want to say it's eight or nine years ago at this point. It's my guess. It's, it's from the Jeremy Lin era. It was when Time Warner Cable dropped MSG Networks and Jeremy Lin caught fire for that, you know, six, eight week period. And, and because of it, they were forced to, uh, to recarry, but once again, for, I think the first time 2012, I was close 2012, 2012, nine years ago. Yeah. I can't believe this t-shirt still fits me. I mean, you know, (laughs) you you did lose some weight for the wedding. He just lost weight for the wedding. That's not a few weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Hence, hence the fact that I know how many calories are in the uh, blueberry cake donut. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, anyway this is from uh john orand no deal tonight for msg and comcast the two sides are so far apart no deal is expected anytime soon i expect this is this to be a long one um and yeah this is the first drop of msg network since um the jeremy lynn drop um there's so many things to unpack here. There's uh, industry impact. There's MSG specific impact. Um, I, and we, we could kind of talk through what this means for MSG and MSGE. But why don't we start off with the industry, Rich? And yeah, um, because I think that's the big point, right? Is that, yeah. you know, look, Dish is a known hater of RSNs. I mean, Charlie, you know, Walt's yeah, been we, on well, every we didn't Charlie get to call the second forever. Tweet. The second yeah, tweet will, was that Dish dropped um, the AT&T RSNs. But, it, but again, Dish dropping RSNs is not a new thing. Dish has been dropping RSNs for years. They were the leader in sort of saying no more RSNs. I don't know if Dish has ever carried MSG, if I remember. Like, they, you know, they, they've never wanted to be in the, the RSN business. What was interesting about the Dish AT&T proposal is they actually published a press release last night that basically said, Look, the only way we're going to carry these is if they're tiered. Let the subscribers who want to pay for them pay for them, but we're not just absorbing the cost. And they basically referenced, hey, we now carry HBO again. Dish just cut a deal with HBO after dropping HBO. They carry HBO a la carte. If you want HBO, pay for it and you can get HBO. And they basically said RSNs need to be treated just like premium cable networks like an HBO. So Dish is basically saying this is the model. We know that they're still in negotiations with Sinclair. It feels like they've just given us the blueprint. Like if they're coming back on Sinclair, the only way they're coming back is if they're tiered. Obviously, you know, Comcast, it, What the, the irony of the Comcast discussion is Comcasts are not tiered with all of their distributors, but Comcast yeah. is saying, essentially, we're not going to pay this price. I, what I mean, what is going on with Comcast, right? It, because they're on both sides of these negotiations right now. Um, they were about to get to a drop with YouTube TV. 
And that has been temporarily, you know, there's a short extension there to work that out on the one side. And on the other side, they're dropping MSGN. And then in the third dimension, we believe that they would like to sell their own RSNs. And this probably impairs the value of the RSNs that they do have. Um, Right. Because when you drop it, you're basically saying, what is the full company strategy here, Rich? Because I can't fully figure it out. And we know that these these two you know pieces of Comcast, they can't be acting fully independently, can they? Comcast Cable is where all the value is at Comcast. Nobody owns Comcast for its NBC or even Sky business. You're buying it for broadband. And so if you believe that Comcast is the most valuable part of Comcast, which we do, then you would say you should do whatever is in the best interest of Comcast, core Comcast Cable. And so in that case, you know, RSNs and dropping things like MSG probably makes sense. Do they want to sell the RSNs? They do. Um, there's probably not a lot of buyers for RSNs right now. I know you've talked about could fanatics, fanatics try to pick up right? the pieces. And we'll talk about yeah, fanatics later. No, and look, and look, all of that is possible. But but I think the point is, is that um, that the the RSN business, if it's going to be tiered, there's only going to be a very small fraction of subscribers. I know you would subscribe to SNY as a diehard Mets fan. I know Mark would too, but it would be a fraction of the current subscriber base. And I think, you know, within a very reasonable, you know, given the cost structures of these RSNs have to pay the teams at fixed fees for years. I think it means most RSNs will go bankrupt over the course of the next five years and have to be restructured. I don't know whether the leagues or the teams take them back, but there's going to have to be a wholesale restructuring of what the RSN business looks like. And now uh, to nuts. let's also play that through before we you know, talk about MSG specifically. Um, the sports rights that the teams are licensing out are going to become much less valuable, which means that sports teams are going to take a hit themselves. Does that impact sports rights valuations? And you oh, could sports betting is going to fix it all. I thought, <laughs> yeah, right. And you could look at it specifically. You know, for instance, MSG Sports, right? Sure. If MSG Networks itself goes bankrupt, those rights that MSG Sports had licensed to them are going to be owned by the banks, and then they're going to have to, you know, well, go out let's just pause there for a second, Brandon, because you found an interesting data point a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. You were talking about discovering that Verizon. And and MSG had done a deal, but now you're not yeah. so sure. Yeah. So what happened? Um, Verizon FiOS has a website um, where they list all the upcoming renewals, and MSG Networks had been removed from that um, for whatever reason. Clearly, it was a mistake because now it's back on. So there is or maybe they Fios. thought they were getting a deal done. Maybe they were being nice. They thought they were I getting a deal yeah, done. Who knows? Who knows? It could be a mistake. They could have thought whatever. The bottom line, it's back on there now. And if we start to look at MSG, first of all, it you know, it's another reason that this deal was ill-conceived for between MSGN and MSGE for MSGE shareholders. And I, I couldn't help but go back this morning to, I think, um, what, what's that guy's name? Jonathan Boyer, Boyer Value Group, who had sent that letter. And we had other people calling us who were MSGN shareholders upset that they thought MSGE had stolen MSGN 
um, from the shareholders. I mean, completely and absolutely absurd, right? The good news for MSGE shareholders is that- It, it almost seems like there was some foreshadowing that they knew they were going to be in trouble. That I don't know, right? But I will say, I, in fact, I doubt they thought they were going to be in trouble um, to do this because, you know, for obvious reasons like credibility. Um, so I doubt that. But M- MSGE, luckily, the MSGN debt attached to it in case there is both a Comcast and Fios um, drop because the term loan would bust there. Um, uh, or there could be a bankruptcy scenario is is siloed, so MSGE shareholders will not get hurt any more than MSGN essentially becoming a zero. So um, it doesn't impact the potential for the sphere and all these. No, other it things. just. And it by just, the way, just, do we even know? You know, FiOS is going to drop them. If on the one hand, it's very, it's a much easier to drop because of the existence of uh, virtual MVPDs now. And I think in the territory, there are two that carry them, um, one of them being Fubo and the other being um, DirecTV. Um, so you don't necessarily lose the broadband sub when you use this, lose a subscriber. But Fios has been taking share from Maltese, it seems like, and I don't know if they want to fuck with that. Uh, RSNs need a new business model. That's the bottom line. And yeah. It's only going to get worse and, from here. Yeah. And it's going to affect a lot of, you know, a lot Look, in the ecosystem. The last thing before we move on is just, we're going to find out a lot more in the next probably 45 days because Dish and Sinclair is probably getting done over the next, you know, 30 to 45 days. And that's probably going to very much frame where we go from here. If they get dropped too, it's totally over. Actually, and the way, Sinclair and them. the Sinclair over the top strategy, right? Oh God, forget it. Let's move on. I don't. No, even I mean no. It. I mean because there is no over the like, top strategy. It doesn't well, work. The math doesn't does, work. Well, the math doesn't work. But do do like those RSNs essentially become a la carte? <laughs> I just think team owners, like if you're Mark Cuban, like you, if you whoever you are as team owners, everyone's got to be just thinking about as these things blow up and disappear. How do you rebuild a new business direct to consumer from scratch? There's definitely a business. It just needs to be restarted. It's going to be an entirely new framework. That's it. Yeah. It's going to look different. And sports teams are going to be hurt by it. Bottom line. I think it's going to be a big change. Let's talk Peacock for a second, because as part of what Brandon was talking about before. Can you please uh, play your... I am not. It's it's the immediate thing. I know. Every time, every time Rich says peacock, I want to hear the peacock. I want to hear one of those buttons like Jim Cramer has. Do it, do it, Rich. I love seeing Rich bounce the around like a bobble. Yeah, but remember, but remember, Walt was the one. Walt was the one telling me to bob more, and so the reason I kept doing it over and over again was because of Walt being trolled, bro. Granted, maybe that should be the gift that we send out to our clients this year. For the holiday period, a, like bobble a little bobblehead. Why don't we could we could send a rich bobblehead out, or we can NFT the peacock cock. No, let's send the bobblehead out. I think we should mint it. I think we should. So, so nine to five. We can put, we can put has... him into a ape costume as well with a bobblehead. <laughs> nine to five. Google I'm sorry, Rich. You're going on N- about peacock again. NBC tried to force Peacock. YouTube TV to bundle Peacock into customers' monthly payments. This is so there, there was a dispute between YouTube TV and Peacock. The, the deadline last night, uh, unlike the RSNs that got dropped last night, 
Peacock, uh, or sorry, uh, YouTube TV actually reached a, an extension with Comcast's NBC Universal channels. But the the interesting thing in this debate was it wasn't actually about RSNs. We thought it was about RSNs, and it wasn't. It seems like the battle's actually over Peacock and. NBC, which has really struggled with Peacock, and there's a second tweet in here that Patrick Coffey at Business Insider actually broke the story. There was a leaked strategy deck from Peacock today, and the strategy deck essentially details the fact that NBC plans to relaunch Peacock, make it into, in the deck, or in the strategy deck, it says it wants it to be a top four SVOD service, and they're going to spend $17 million early next year kicking off to try to make Peacock a major success in terms of a streaming service. And I think Peacock is generally, while while the deck talks about the success of Peacock, I think nobody's using Peacock. The Comscore numbers we saw recently says that it has under 1% of connected TV time spent. Nobody's watching Peacock other than for EPL um, and, you know, a little bit of their programming, but it, it really has not resonated. But what I think is funny is to fix Peacock, they're trying to jam it into cable subscriptions rather than saying, hey, or doing a marketing campaign, instead of saying, we got to make must-have programming that is going to draw people to Peacock, they're trying to force carriage and force people to pay for it, even if they don't want Peacock, which is the antithesis of direct-to-consumer. And so to me, it just, it feels a little tone deaf of like, if Peacock is going to be a success, just make great programming. What is Peacock at the end of the day? What have we called it? Advertising arbitrage opportunity. Okay, right? and but- then they they need as many eyeballs as they could force onto it to sort of exploit that. I think sure, but but forcing people to pay for it, forcing the cable bundle to get even fatter. You know, we've compl- complained about RSNs. We've complained about. I mean, and it, yes, it's antithetical to the yes. Comcast strategy. As we go back, they're dropping MSGN. To cut, but then to forcing slim, in Peacock. To slim up and then forcing in Peacock. I mean, obviously, they're just doing what's in their own, you know, self-interest on both sides. Yeah. It but just, it's not a it's not a but who's the loser? The loser's the consumer. Coherent strategy yeah, but the loser's the consumer. Yeah. You know, consumers having to pay for more programming. I mean, most of what's on Peacock is actually what's on TV already. Like the NFL Sunday, you know, you know, Sunday Night Football is on Peacock. All of last night's television on NBC is on Peacock. Like you're paying for a lot of things effectively twice. It just, it's just bizarre. Like, you know, I just saw a bus, you know, I was in Manhattan yesterday and there was a bus pass by it and had a big ad for Dan Brown, whatever the, the, the series is that is, is going to be, or has launched or is launching on Peacock. And I'm just like, None of this programming is really bold enough and resonating. They need some big things. I mean, WWE obviously brought some people in. Obviously, it's not gangbusters, but it brought some people in. It did. They just they need some amazing. They need breakthrough programming. Like they need their Ted Lasso. That they just don't they have it. Continue to go niche by niche and bring and bring it in that way. Yeah, I mean that's it, that's the other strategy, right? And you you look at things like WWE and soccer rights and all these things, like trying to hit passionate demos that can't live without that programming, and then sort of cross subsidizing and and cross marketing the content. The amazing thing about um, TikTok, they had their first ever TikTok World, basically like a big partnership day, and they were talking about how um, ratings on TV are a disaster. And they said, you know, even though the Olympics. Ratings were down dramatically. 
videos on TikTok of athletes like Suni Lee were going hugely viral with, you know, tens of millions of views during the Olympics. And at the same time, TikTok's releasing exactly what we've seen on Snap. Remember last year during the like height of the pandemic when sports ratings were getting absolutely fucking crushed and Snap was, you know, talking about sports, um, Snap stories, whatever engagement being up like 40 percent. Yeah. And then you have, you know, I mean, TikTok, you know, this is Kara Yuri. I'm probably screwing up the last surname. Sea change in how. uh, sports content has been consumed, except for the NFL. This podcast has been because of Walter Pysik. This podcast has been very focused on TikTok for from the very beginning. Um, TikTok now reaching a billion users in half the time it took Instagram to get to a billion users. You know, literally four years to get to a billion users globally. Um, uh, both ex-China, obviously, uh, just a just a staggering number. And and I think what's also interesting is the time spent. You know, the the time spent, you know, creeping, you know, towards like that hour per day is just an incredible amount of time spent um, on TikTok. And, and, you know, to me, you know, it's still a business that's probably, you know, it's probably doing a billion dollars, maybe one to two billion dollars of advertising. It's probably a billion dollars of advertising. It's just getting started. And I think that's what, you know, I know there's a lot of investors worried about what is this going to mean to to Snapchat or what is this going to mean to Facebook? The reality is just like we've seen with the the Netflix versus Amazon debate for years, there's lots of room for lots of players because time spent is shifting so dramatically um, across the platforms. I'm actually going to call an audible just because I think it, it fits so well. When when you look at the fact that, you know, I think this is um, premier week ratings, um, Mulville essentially cribbed some of something that we had tweeted uh, on ratings versus 10 years ago. And you just see that, you know, primetime is down 62%. Um, over the last 10 years, the numbers, I mean, new shows, there was a new show on Fox that launched with a 0.2 rating and 1 million people watching. And at the same time, you've got Netflix with, you know, bonkers, probably their biggest show globally, certainly their biggest international show, but potentially their biggest show in the history of Netflix in Squid Game coming out of Korea. Had said that this week that he expected um, Squid Game to be their biggest ever. He said they're what biggest international ever, which means that it passes Lupin, right? So the only thing left to pass is um, Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Oh, right. In terms of biggest show. So like, it just, it's just sort of interesting, you know, that, you know, ratings, everything, but sports and, and really sports is not even a fair analogy. I think we've shit on sports ratings throughout most of the year. I mean, look at, w, that, look at WWE ratings since 2011, they've less, yeah, I mean, they're down like 60% or something, right? People are just not watching linear TV except for one thing, which is what we all watch in football. And, you know, Walt's been spot on in his prediction that Manning cast actually does matter. Walt, you want to read this? Cause I think it, it actually is pretty impressive. Um, I don't know if I could say friend of the podcast, friend of the Twitter feed, sports TV ratings says the Manning cast did better with adults 18 to 49 than 50 plus, which is rare and beat everything but ESPN's telecast with adults 18 to 34. And you have a graphic here just pointing out that they had one nine viewers, which is up. Um, But we had set the under over or specifically I did at like three million. Clearly, um, I was far, far, far off, but I did watch. I watched it for the first time. Um, 
this past week and I wasn't really into the game itself, but I, that Cowboys Eagles game was like kind of a blowout. Well, um, but yes, I was can I just burn yeah, into nerding on. out um, on what the Mannings had to say? It's, it's not nerding out, Brandon. He was doing, they were doing generic um, conversations as well with um, LeBron James. Yeah. And, I didn't, I didn't really love that part. I love the part where they explained That's actually parts of it. what was going on. Um, I'll just say this strategically, what fan. was going through the quarterback's mind, et cetera. Sorry. Yeah, that's the nerding out part. And I'm saying there was other parts of it as well. But but to me, it was as an Eagles fan, and they were getting absolutely destroyed. It was a pleasure listening to the Mannings because they were just not the same generic, awful announcing that is epitomized in Joe Buck, um, but also basically replicated by people like Brian Greasy. It was just, it was, they weren't like, there wasn't all this hyperbole. It was just, it was enjoyable to watch. And I would say that if you think about like hit shows like, Sopranos, Game of Thrones, or whatever. Like the first season wasn't necessarily the big season. It takes a little bit of time for this stuff to catch on. You're at Thanksgiving, you're talking to your family, like, oh yeah, you got to switch on that Manning cast or this alternative audio. And and I think it grows from here. But it just, I think, underscores what I've said for fucking years, which is that you need to add alternative audio because Joe Buck specifically is awful, but basically broadcasters in general, and you can broaden the market. But, but that that's the the last point is the most important one. Getting younger people to watch sports on TV. How about just no different one had, people? Yes, younger, but different people, Rich. I mean, there's everyone has an audience. Like if Joe Rogan okay, but, has but, his but, audience. But sports, and, and sports getting, to survive on TV not needs just, younger people. Yeah, of course, younger people, but making it so that you don't make it fun need to need to watch the highlights. Correct. Right. Correct. So yes. Watch the highlights and refresh your like. ESPN.com or score app. If you're, if you're better, how to throw that in or that it's not unbearable, like TV as background and leaving it on because the Mannings have some interesting shit to say. And it's not like just irritating commentary. Like you're going to increase interactivity and that's going to help add dollars. Now here's the bad news. There is no Manning cast for the next two weeks. So we're going to get a real look at, I know the game, the matchups are never the same. So this is always hard I think to this do. This is the good news because it's going to continue to test our thesis and we can then go back to right. see how numbers perform without alternative audio. Brandon, do you think it could work other- with other people? Like, do you think that there's like, how, like how unique to this is, is the Mannings versus like, who would you want to see do this? Like, if you could pick two people to I, do this, no, who would I, you want? No, Brandon honestly. already watches football, so who cares? Yeah, like, it's not, it's not but, about him. We got to find uh, someone yeah, that doesn't exactly. watch football. It's, it's about hitting other demos. So, like, when Ninja did it, that was interesting. The Nickelodeon thing, that was interesting. But ultimately, I think you want a collection, as Waltz pointed out numerous times, of different alternative feeds. It's Mark like one stream on for the NBA or two. But, the, or, but this is the point. It's, 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 it's not about finding the next hit person. It's about you open it up to everyone. This is like TikTok, yeah. right? You create yeah. you create a, a number of different options, and then the best naturally will rise to the top. Like open up, or, the or I mean, the internet itself is about appealing to um, to uh, more specific interests, right? It's not about being broad; it's about customization, and. I, and that's kind of where these broadcasts need to go in general. Right. It, like, it would be great to see. I mean, I know, Walt, you asked um, Brian Rollup at the NFL about this when we had him on Light Shed Live. But like Amazon's coming in next fall. Hopefully Layup. Amazon will have 
not just one. It'd be great if Amazon had three or four, like multiple no, but options. No, Rich. It, to, it, just it, to it, test it, and learn. No, not even. They should open it up to everybody. Create a digital feed that anyone platform. can platform, whatever, that anyone can layer on their own audio for different segments, right? So like, but I don't, the early read out of Amazon is that they're not going there, unfortunately. We'll see. Maybe, maybe eventually. The other good news that- It is going to be broadcast on Twitch, I presume too. So Twitch might be the platform where they do that innovation. Yeah. That's where that's where the ninja thing was last time. It wasn't on Amazon's core, but they use Twitch for that sort of way, concurrent the, feed. The other the other thing I would say is that I watch shit on DirecTV. Some of my friends stream, some are on Fios. Someone's someone scores a touchdown, you text boom, everyone's someone's getting screwed because of latency. Like it's it's so now expected in terms of the latency across different viewers among your friend group that like I don't even think if you added a buffer in order to enable alternative audio that it really makes that much of a difference. I don't think people are that ginned up to make sure that they are the first one to see something that if they can get an alternative audio, even if it means latency and getting a text from your friend who's celebrating a touchdown early, that that's just part of the the new world of how we view content. I mean, we showed the video like Fubo TV and YouTube TV are forty five seconds behind what's happening in the stadium already, just given transmission where yep. we are today. Okay, um, let's move on to a little- Walt okay. brought up the Sopranos in there, um, which made me very happy because isn't today the day the Sopranos prequel comes out? Yes, but the reviews are, I mean, I, it, I heard the, the, review, reviews the reviews suck. that I've read are, well, they said it just doesn't live up to it, but- I mean, is we'll anything, see. I mean, the Sopranos and- is one of the top two shows of all time. So I also saw a tweet, Brandon, that, that, I mean, I don't, I can't attest to this. It was a passing tweet, but apparently um, Sopranos is getting a lot of viewership from youth. Kind of like, remember how friends in the yeah, office went through this yeah, kind of yeah, major yes, push. Yes, 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 so they're getting this. I don't know if it's connected brings, to the new it, release. Brings yeah. it, it probably, it probably is. And so you see here, you drop the Sopranos movie on HBO max, right? Many Saints of Newark for the for our viewers. Yeah, Many Saints of Newark. David and, Chase is producing. Right, you <laughs> you bring people into the funnel to watch that, get them hooked. They watch it. They watch The Sopranos itself. There you go. By the way, you resident Marvel fan and retention tool. Resident Marvel fan, are we going to Venom tonight? Um. Well, that's not my Marvel universe. So Venom no. reviews are wholly awful. Like well, the, a, the the trailers, they've kind of altered multiple times and they put a lot of advertising uh, behind it. So no, pass on that. Okay. Um, C-Band. So this is um, a tweet from Mike Dano of Light Reading, which one of my trolls is called Light Shed Reading because he apparently quotes me from time to time. In this case, he's quoting competitor from Morgan Stanley about this upcoming auction. There's an auction next week, Rich, for of Spectrum. Um, it's there's no name for it, but um, it's a hundred. Why is there no name? Like there's it's, usually it's like C band or the five hundred megahertz. Yeah, Why is this light is no shed name? reading or light reading has tried to call it the Andromeda auction, but it doesn't really. It didn't really catch on. I don't know. It needs a name. It doesn't. Anyway, so his his tweet. Why don't says you this, brand it? Just give it. You late. come up with a name. You're right. I fucked that up. I should have branded it, but whatever. It's too late. So his tweet says the C-band spectrum holdings. Well, this he's quoting Morgan Stanley. 
The C-band spectrum holding, I wish, should I do it in Simon? No, I can't do it. The C-band spectrum holdings, carrier balance sheets, 40 megahertz spectrum cap, sharing requirements in some markets, and $15 billion reserve price could all combine to lead to a failed auction. Basically, what he's saying here is this: if this auction doesn't rise above $15 billion, it fails. And then it's going to take a couple more years for the government to auction off. And so Morgan Stanley thinks that like because Verizon has like whatever three turns of leverage that they can't add another quarter turn of leverage to their balance sheet to get what is the lifeblood of how networks work. We're, we're, we have a different view. We think the auction is going to generate $30 billion, um, in terms of proceeds, so it will clear that. Verizon will be aggressive because they're continuing this pivot back from, you know, they went to millimeter wave and that was kind of a disaster. And then um, it's kind of been an overhang on their stock. So this is, again, just getting more mid-band spectrum, AT&T, more mid-band spectrum. And, and like T-Mobile, they're just, as a company, ever since they closed the Sprint deal and Ledger left, the culture there is just, they're just, they're nasty, <laughs> right? So this is a, this is what <laughs> nasty companies do. They, they, it's called, it's called foreclosure value where you buy something so someone else can't get it. And is there a magic reason why 14, uh, sorry, why 15 billion or 14, eight, like wh- where they pick the it's clearing. Prices the reason for? that's the reserve price, Rich, is because this is Spectrum owned by the Department of Defense, I think, or someone. Yeah, it's got to be defense. And they need a certain amount of that money gets passed to them so they can clear off existing users. So if there's a DOD guy that needs a new device that moves them off the spectrum, so if they can't pay the government off. Um, to clear those people, then you don't get the spectrum. But look, got it. So the metric that people use, but you don't, you way, don't think it's even going to be close. So like that's so a pretty metric, wide gap, thirty versus fifteen. So the metric that people use in my world is this thing called price per megahertz pop. So you've got units, and it's price yep. per unit. So and the and the number for the reserve price is less than fifty cents per megahertz pop. And that I think many people think is a low number. The C band auction went for like a dollar ten. Per megahertz pop, AWS auction was like two dollars. So yes, I think that if an operator was willing to spend a dollar per megahertz pop for C band, then for this spectrum, they should, at a minimum, clear the reserve price, which is fifty cents, and more likely head towards a dollar. But we'll find out soon enough. Brandon, you want to switch to uh, the first? This is something we've never talked about on the podcast ever. Well, we've talked we've talked a lot about well in the other direction, um, I guess. Yeah, we've talked a lot about big tech trying to get into the um, the game space and and have a hit, and we hadn't seen it yet, but finally the day has come, and I'll uh, I'll retake him's uh, tweet here. Amazon says demand for New World has been quote staggering. And they were, quote, surprised. More than 1 million players on the first day still rising. And the company has already doubled server capacity. And along with that, uh, we have Jeff's tweet here, talks to 700,000 concurrent players on Steam, which is something I I really can't remember before, um, maybe a couple of times and 925,000 concurrent viewers on Twitch. This is a bona fide out-of-the-gate hit for Lumberyard, which is the studio at Amazon. It took several years. I feel like if this didn't work, I don't know what the future of Lumberyard actually uh, would have been. What, what um, type of game is it? Like, who, What's the comp an, for this a, type of game? It's a free-to-play MMO. So it's like massive multiplayer 
um, online game. And any idea why this one, like just why this finally hit? Is there any just I I haven't played it or watched um, or anything. Why did it hit? It's it's probably fucking good. I mean, it's it's that simple. Right. I don't, there was not a shit ton of marketing behind it. But it wasn't like or, anyone or was anything. expecting this to be a hit. Like there was no, no like buzz. Well, leading it's into interesting this. because our conversations with them, there wasn't. But our conversations yeah. with Amazon a couple of weeks ago, they were like, well, this one that's coming out in a couple of weeks, we think might be pretty good. But they weren't like, this is going to be a massive fucking hit. Um, so it's just interesting. Like Jeff Blackburn's come back. He's now running games music podcast you know um, i don't think audible has anything to do with this no 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 no. but 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 my point is is like look they bid on the nfl like just nfl mgm's in process like imdb tv just the operating system for the you know which basically is why they're getting into you know hardware you've pointed out to several clients this week if you type in um tv into amazon.com or on the app the first thing that comes up is basically pre-sales for the amazon television they're going to push that very hard um they are they're going deep uh, on the media strategy right now yeah and look i think that to me that's what's interesting right is that like it just feels like and next year's and not just even the media content the- year by the way but it's also this connected living room, like the media, like we've yeah. talked, like we wrote that whole blog post a year ago, of like why the TV was so important or why the living room was so important yeah. to Google. Well, we, we, with- we wrote, you know, going years back when during the Comcast Netflix um, yeah. situation, that was the first time we talked about the strategic importance of the operating system in the living room. But the, what's funny is Comcast didn't do it, right? Like they kept it just for their own, you know, Xfinity was really just for their own. Now they're finally trying to branch out. Google did Google TV. They, you know, executed well overseas, but certainly not in the U.S., the most important media market. And now Amazon, which has been very late to the party, all of a sudden, Amazon seems to be making this massive sort of multi-touchpoint push forward. And, you know, if gaming is working and they have the NFL and they have the television, like, just, I know it's a game, but it's a start. It's the first, like, we've oh, been talking it, about Amazon it, gaming gets, for a long if time. If it gets huge, Rich, I mean, look what, I don't know. I, you have you could have single properties. Fortnite did for Epic, right? Right. Um, it can make know. a massive I, impact on having a really engaged, always on base. Yep. Okay, and then that sort of ties in. I'll just call an audible and sort of move up Roku. Like Roku, at the same time that Amazon's starting to you know prep for its TV launch in a few weeks, we've got Sarah Fisher tweeting out. This is something I had not seen. New Roku launching a subscription channel for this old house franchise. They did a deal earlier this year where they brought on all of the, the episodes um, onto Roku into the Roku channel. Um, the first subscription it's testing around content it owns. It's a big step in its strategy around originals. It, it's just, you know, again, we've talked about Roku figuring out a way to make itself unique. Just the, you know, how do you move from just a TV OS platform with advertising and really differentiate yourself? Obviously content is a leading way because it's hard to make the tech that much better than anyone else's, um, you know, when you're just basically playing apps. So it's interesting that Roku is, is just pushing harder and harder into content. Obviously Amazon with MGM and everything they're doing is obviously taking, and the NFL is taking a much bigger bet. And you just mentioned gaming. 
I just wonder whether Roku is going to have to spend a lot more money over the next few years to go far bigger into content or raise more money. That was one of our, I think, 21 for 21. Like, does Roku need to raise even more money to become even more aggressive in all of the 21 for 21 started with them getting into original, right? Which did come true. And now they're just like, by the way, the quit, the Quibi content apparently is working and they're ordering next seasons of a lot of it. (laughs) Even amazing. though it was on like, isn't it? Yes, that is amazing. Well, the Quibi content was actually good content. Yeah, well, it, it was just, never about the content. It was no, about it was just the wrong app. business model. Yep. Okay, let's move. Let's um, let's uh, talk a little bit about Netflix making. This is now their second acquisition in a week, Brandon, for a company yep. that never makes acquisitions. Yeah, well, uh, this makes sense because we knew that they were going to start making acquisitions. Um, in gaming in the second that they announced it. And here it is from VentureBeat. Netflix acquires its first game studio and deal with Oxenfree uh, creator Night School Studio. Now, Oxenfree is exactly the type of game that we said made the most sense on, on Netflix. Okay, it's not a mobile game, right? First of all. Yeah. Um, number two, it is a narrative-driven a story-driven um, uh, game that is single-player. So it is basically an expansion of the type of experience that you're used to on Netflix, where you begin a story and end a story um, uh, on the platform. And also what we talked about for these single-player narrative games is that they've kind of been left behind in the industry because the industry is focused so much on PC and um, PC and console on um, <clears throat> on games as the games as a service business and games that have MTX in them. And then in the other business, really just creating loops for MTX or advertising. Big advantage for Netflix, not having to rely on um, um, on either arbitrage opportunity. In, yeah. And also just look, I always think about Netflix likes to change the way things are done, right? Like in the in the TV business, they got rid of waiting a week between episodes. And, yeah. you know, or, or like, just bringing things back that have been forgotten about because of new sure. business models. So you talk about like sort of the mid tier movie documentaries. Um, I mean, heck, a, heck, an international, you know, a Korean original being the biggest show in the world is mind boggling. And, you know, like we talked, we've debated on the podcast before whether week to week creates more buzz. Obviously, it did for WandaVision. But here, like this is the biggest show they've ever had. And it's dropped all the episodes and it's from Korea. So I, I don't think that there's a an either or, you know, I don't think there's it, it's scientific. I think it both can work, obviously. But I think what's interesting is just can you make games can you make a more a better storytelling game if you remove the need for in-game purchase don't have to frustrate people and you just make about making it about just making the best game and will that create better content than you had before i don't know the answer but i guess we're going to find out whether that's possible when you rethink mechanics and focus purely on storytelling um let's move on to a very odd tweet from Lucas Shaw. Um, he tweets out, let me read the first tweet that, that it ties to. So Frank Pallotta over at CNN, who we like a lot, um, we like Lucas too, tweets, Frank tweets, Justin, the book of Boba Fett. Did I say that Boba right? Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. 
Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Sorry. Jason Kyla. Boba? No, no. I, I'm, I can go through all the ones I screw up all the time. Um, launches exclusively on Disney Plus on December 29th. So remember, there is no Mandalorian. Normally, there's Mandalorian from October through December the last two years. That's been Disney's sort of iconic content for calendar Q4 each year, their fiscal Q1. Lucas Shaw over Bloomberg tweets out, good way to make sure no one drops Disney Plus before the end of the year. Well, um, Walter, a little strange. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, if it's not coming out to December 29th, it's like the exact opposite <laughs> that theoretically someone would drop now and then rejoin in Q1. Unless they have to have it on the first day. I think he just got <laughs> twisted around on that because Lucas is a smart dude. But um, yeah, it's yeah, I mean, just 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 to be clear, I'm looking at what is trending on Disney Plus right now, and it is a animated series called What If that I've never heard of The Simpsons, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. So is, there no, is there no movies or anything dropping into D plus um, in the holiday season? The only thing dropping, the only thing dropping will be obviously since Shang-Chi came out in September, yep. 45 days later. So in mid October, that's fine. But anything come. else, anything else, Rich? So that's real. That, that is unfortunate. Cause I, as you know, I am a, I am a distant Disney fan and that kind of period between Thanksgiving and Christmas is exactly the type that that would I would be going to Disney and saying like what does Disney have for me during this nice holiday season? Um, so that is well, um, unfortunate, and yeah, I don't understand like that people theoretically could disconnect. You can watch Encanto. You can watch Encanto. It'll Encanto comes out in theaters on Thanksgiving, and it will be on Disney Plus. On but that's Christmas, Christmas Day. Day. That's not the holiday season. I, 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 which I is understand. I'm just kind of Thanksgiving into. I, I'm, um, nonetheless, Disney, Disney wants you back in theaters. By the way, they normally have chosen- I would, this. This is where I would normally tie in Verizon and say, "Well, this means bad things for Verizon Q4." But I, I'll say this: uh, in terms of Star Wars and Marvel, I think they've probably squeezed the orange out in terms of those fans. Yeah, meaning that like. Yeah. The getting some new Marvel series or new Star Wars series having an impact on subscriber growth for Disney and thereby they to Verizon. To broader. But I think Verizon himself. Walt, retention. Is it possible that sure. you have those fans churn on, churn off? That sure. you know, that is that's a problem because right, but for Verizon, that's less stuff. of an issue because I don't think right. for Verizon, the whole point of Verizon Disney relationship is to smooth those retention issues that I think we're talking about right here that should exist. Um, But I think more importantly, Verizon is, I think probably looking to other things, Rich, I, I, you know, I'm not sure they've gotten what they can out of Disney. And the question is if Verizon does add more things, I don't want to say they would drop Disney, but like, what does that mean for Disney subscribers? If, if Verizon's doing other stuff in order to incentivize their customers to hire end rate plans, they've been a good partner, 8 million ish ish subs on D plus. The important thing for Disney, though, at the end of the day, is what do subscribers look like? Because that drives the stock. And, you know, we've heard from people who have met with Disney in the past week. There's been a bunch of them um, that they're talking down numbers uh, on the subscriber side. Because they don't have anything until December 25th and then 29th. That's the impact, right? Even for next year with this whole fiscal year. look, Look, just think about what's happened in the last week. Right. Like in just the last week, Tiger King 2 is coming out. I know that's not like Netflix competition you're talking. Well, just I I just meant the cadence of content like, you know, Britney Spears dropped this week. Apple's jumping a bunch like the pay. Like Disney can't just make four 
iconic shows a year. They, they need to, to just have they need a Big lot time. more volume. And whether yeah. that's bundling in Hulu and finally solving that, something's got to change. Like X Asia, they've got to add 20 to 25 million subs each of the next three years to hit their guidance outside of Asia, where they give it away for free. And then in oddly, to- we're hearing that people are people talking about them spinning Hulu. Right. They they need more content and, and not just to Walt's point. I think this is important. And I know we've talked about this, but they need different content. Like there's this show on Hulu right now that my kids are saying is great called something murderer with Steve Martin. It's supposedly great. I forget the exact name of it, but it's like a show that you look at it and you go, I know it's TV MA because it's probably got some bad language in it. But like, why can't that show with Steve Martin comedy? Why can't that be on Disney Plus? Like they have sort of this rigid. It's got to be, you know, Marvel, Lucas, family friendly. Like it's got to be in it. It's just very self-limiting in terms of when they did that analyst day, when they dropped all that great Marvel and Star Wars um kind of uh slate i guess or whatever you guys call it when uh you yep. know when so they maybe the, the next time they do that when does that happen what what time per year is at the end of the year maybe they'll announce a bunch of this new stuff rich i mean is maybe. it how does it work in your world like are there is there are there people out there like in the tech world there's someone in china like figuring out what's in the next iphone is there do we know what stuff's well, in development is it hard for disney to well, surprise they, people they gave their whole development pipe yeah but basically. but the funny thing is is disney is talking about how covid is is the thing that's disrupting them yet we all know hbo has been crushing it with content this quarter we know that netflix has been crushing it with content this quarter like it's just it's hard to understand why covid is this problem for disney but it isn't for anybody else. Like well, Apple's COVID, as we've talked about before, COVID's can be an excuse for someone that, that can't make numbers. Look, the other thing they can do is get on the phone and call up Stanky or and show say, up to weddings and and <laughs> exactly um, call up Stanky and say, add us to your high end bundle and just get yep. more telecom operators to help to reduce um, you know that kind of on and off that they have in between their Marvel and Star Wars releases. Well. There is certainly a major change in in TV distribution, obviously ratings, everything moving to streaming as we're talking about movie business, obviously being disrupted. So it's probably not surprising at all that we have two pretty big um, data points in the um, talent agency industry this week. One, Dylan Byers broke the news uh, first in the week that uh, talent agency CA is buying rival talent agency ICM. CA and ICM are friends of the pod or friends of the shed. Uh, We like both of them. This is basically getting scale and, you know, probably taking some cost out, but just scaling up as the business is undergoing pretty dramatic change. You know, no more syndication of TV shows, yep. movie business, obviously changing. Like, so it's not surprising in a changing industry that Needing you would scale to exploit up. international opportunities. Absolutely. Like it all makes sense, but yep. it sort of speaks to the fact that the business model of media moving towards streaming is very disruptive to the underlying business and yep. you need more scale. And then yep. on the other side of it, you have the Hollywood reporter saying endeavor to buy sports gambling firm open bet and deal valued at 1.2 billion. I mean, these it's really interesting how diametrically opposed the CAA strategy and the endeavor strategy are endeavor is basically telling you we want to be anything but a talent agency and CAA is doubling down um, in getting more scale on the representation. Look, side. I should it's have put the quote in. I, well, no, I should have pulled the audio clip. It's actually my fault for not pulling the audio. 
Ari Emanuel was interviewed by Sharon Waxman at the rap. And she goes, Ari, you're an agent. And he goes, no, I'm not an agent. I'm an executive. <laughs> like it, it was this amazing. It was an amazing back and forth. Like he doesn't want to be. An, I mean, yes, he is probably the most well-known agent on the planet. But the point is what Endeavor is now is basically a sports media and sports gambling company. And that's what they oh, are. Yeah. It, a company that is doing whatever they can to add multiple points um, <laughs> to uh, to their valuation. And, you know, buying a commoditized piece of the sports betting stack is helpful in that no one's ever going to know what the exact profitability is um, because it's stuffed in segment. But, you know, the more they could say they're a sports betting infrastructure company, uh, the higher the multiple should go. Another one that, um, you know, while, while it doesn't shout sports betting on the face of it, Brandon, I know you think this is more about sports betting. Probably no, it's than anything not about else. sports betting. It's about fanatics using um, the platform that they've built um, in merchandise to find, weave their way into everything. Um, you that read the is, tweet to our podcast listeners so they know what you're referring related. to. So the tweet is from Sportico breaking fanatics trading cards raises $350 million at a $10.4 billion valuation. So this is just the trading card piece, um, which is, you know, th through part partnership merger, whatever, um, working to, you know, do like, they have the relationships with, um, well publicized with MLB, which they took from Tops, the NFL, and now they're um, adding card grading to that. So they're trying to really um, corner the sports collectibles market, in addition to everything else that touches sports, um, including sports betting, which we've talked about, um, and potentially media business. It um, just seems like this is just the beginning. At. No, it's just the beginning. There's definitely, whether it's RSNs. This is going to be a big IPO next year. It, it's also just going to be a monster. Like there's going to be a monster sports story in here. And what's interesting is Fanatics as a brand, youth know this brand. Like they know it for the merch side of it, but they know this brand and they like this brand in a way that I don't think they care about ESPN. I don't think they care about Fox sports. Like this is a brand that actually has meaning to its community and is, I think very much trying to weave in the brand side of it in a very unique way um, with some great customer lists, obviously just given sort of what they've, where they come from. It's going to be interesting to watch. I, I think this is going to be one of the companies that we spend a lot more time on over the next couple of years. Um. On the flip Mike, side, Michael Rubin should be happy about that because his Sixers, uh, I don't know. This uh, Ben Simmons situation. Um, you're oh, not oh, happy. Ben, ben not being on the team is going to make a difference. Hey, what what, a, like having the ball under the basket made a difference. What a whiner. I love how Embiid took him to the, to the yeah. shed yesterday. That was amazing. <laughs> He's like, you're not, you're the reason Jimmy Butler's not on this team. You're and the reason we have to, how to get all these shooters um, yeah. to surround you. And Ben is like, the whole team is built around Embiid. It was completely ridiculous. Embiid hasn't been able to play on the block. His head had been out by the three point line. Yeah. Um, because of who Ben, I, 
I just want to. I just want to call time really out. Good workout, I just want. I just want to call out. Sorry, this is I had the to most get that passionate Brandon's chest. been. Brandon, this is yeah, the most passionate Brandon's off. been the entire podcast. Like he literally just like he changed into a whole other person and jumped out of his skin because of this. We should have led with that, Brandon. If you were that, you know, bring Jimmy back. All right, what do we got for our final tweet, Rich? The final tweet, just because it's so amazing, the story of of, of I, I, funny. I'm just going to read it. Tim Miller, uh, and okay, we got to give Ben thing. Smith. We got to give Ben Smith credit because Ben Smith at the New York Times broke this story. It's actually the link in here is to Ben's story. But Tim Miller synthesizes the two great elements of this story. And so I'm just going to read it. Number one, I didn't realize Ozzy still existed. Uh, Ozzy Media is the name of the company. Uh, And then two, the weirdest part of a great story is that this dude uses a voice changing app or something to impersonate a YouTube exec. And the company's all like, no harm, no foul. He has some mental health issues. Uh, and then literally goes out and raises capital thereafter. And in the interviewing days, board members have resigned. Chairman of the board has resigned. Uh, I honestly had never heard of Ozzy Media at Which all. Which is crazy, right? Considering how much time we've spent with like, it's every media uh, company. Well, digital media. You think about di- whether it's Vice or BuzzFeed or Group 9 yeah, or all Bustle. I mean, th- there's nobody we haven't met with over the last decade. And the fact that I this company has been raising this much capital and doing all of this stuff. And yet it looks like there was literally no business. Like it was complete smoke and mirrors. Uh, you know, this, this is going to be a better documentary than we work. It may not be fire. The, the New York, the New York times article is just amazing. From, a great uh, read. from the Buzzfeed guy though. Right. I mean, that guy has good content. Ben yeah. has great content. He loves breaking great stories. So we'll see. I mean, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. It feels like every day there's a new data point in this story. Like we keep getting more and more good stuff. We're going to go out with a little uh, Iron Man. Sounds like a wild thing. (laughs) Yeah, we probably shouldn't have started from the beginning. beginning. This is really slow. Worst exit music ever. Yeah, not the beginning, beginning. You needed to. Whose choice was this? This, this was Brandon's part. choice. Mm-hmm. So you should have started right here. You don't need the actual yes. lead up to it. I asked Mark where to start it. I was given the beginning. So it's Mark's. Oh, wait, I think part of the story also was that these people from Ozzy Media claim that Ozzy and Sharon. Is Sharon the wife's name? Yeah, Sharon Oswald. Um, that they invested in this thing. Oh, no way. Lie. True. I oh, think I saw a tweet about that. Come you on. Can't what, you can't believe what That's you see amazing. on Twitter. Someone Google that. You can believe what you read on Google, but not Twitter, apparently. Wow. That, well, that's episode 74, everyone. Oh, and Hold on, Rich. Who do you got, Brady or Belichick? Who's winning? Uh, I always what choose. Are the ratings, I, what's the over-under I, on the ratings? I, I always game? choose Brady. Brady never fails. Even though and, I'm a Giants fan, Brady and never Who are you fails. taking on that one, Brady or Belly? Oh, obviously Brady. Okay. And I, I want to uh, give shout out to Don Hudson. Congratulations on opening the Oscar Museum. Um, finally, we need to get there. We need to get I, there. We Brandon. need to get there. We should have been there this week. We couldn't make it. Um, but uh, congrats. Belichick. Highest of the season, obviously. We're going to 
going to have the Today Show. NBC's putting it'll like be a multi-year high shows there. Until it's a blowout. You think there's a blowout on a Belichick team? Okay. I mean, that guy would be everything ever. possible. Videotaping Brady right now in the, in the bathroom. <laughs> well, he knows Brady is he's, he's over. He's inflating the balls. He's overinflating the balls. I'll be watching Squid Game. <laughs>